0: You are listening to Revolver Podcast. Wanna grow your own weed but not sure where to get the seed? Go to bcbuddepot.com. For nearly 15 years, BC Bud Depot has been building one of the world's most comprehensive seed banks, offering over 50 strains of top-quality cannabis to suit every grower's needs, including multiple award-winning strains like Godbud, The Purps, BC Blueberry, Girl Scout Cookies, and more. In fact, BC Bud Depot's genetics have won over 30 different cannabis awards over the past decade. So you know you're dealing with a recognized industry leader that will deliver you some of the most potent, flavorful flowers on the planet. They ship worldwide, offering fast, discreet delivery at reasonable prices. All online orders are processed within 48 hours and are packaged and mailed with the utmost stealth and safety in mind. And if for some reason your order gets lost, damaged, or confiscated, BC Bud Depot will resend it at no extra charge, guaranteeing that every customer receives what they paid for. Whether you're looking for indica or sativa, indoor or outdoor, feminized or auto flowering, BC Bud Depot has the seeds you need at a price you can handle. But don't take my word for it. Check out their extensive library of award-winning genetics for yourself at bcbuddepot.com and type in promo code BLAZIN420 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. BC Bud Depot, home of Cannabis Champions since 2002. Please check your local, state, and national laws before ordering. It's time to roll up those joints, pack those bowls, and fire up those nails. Because you're listening to Blazin' with Bobby Black.
1: What's up everybody, this is Bobby Black welcoming you to another edition of Blazin'. You know, you may have noticed we were off the air for the past two weeks, took a sort of a spring break, if you will, and if you're wondering why, it was because I was relocating. My wife April and I spent the past several weeks loading our entire lives onto a truck in New York City and uh, heading west. And after a week of being on the road and another week or so of getting settled in, I'm proud to say we are now officially Californians. Those of you who know me know I was born and raised in Brooklyn, so it is definitely a big leap for me to leave New York and head out to the Golden State. But, you know, California is where it's at for cannabis, and it's hopefully poised to go legal for recreational use in November. So uh, big things are going to be happening out here, and I'm real excited to be getting a fresh start out in Southern California. So now here I am back on the air and bringing you a very special show, uh, a very personal and a very meaningful show, because today is Memorial Day. As we all know, it's the day when we honor those who have fallen in battle uh, in defending this great nation. So for this week, I wanted to have on uh, a a special guest, someone who could really speak to this holiday. My guest this week is uh, a man for whom Memorial Day is extremely significant and extremely personal. He's a uh, former Marine who uh, served in Iraq and a friend of mine someone who has been a part of many of the veterans and medical marijuana panels that I've used to host at the High Times Cannabis Cups and uh over the years we've uh, we've become friends so uh please uh, join me in welcoming to the show Mr. Dakota Blue Cerna Dakota how are you man Hey buddy
2: man thanks for
1: having me Oh it's uh it's I'm honored to have you on so uh I guess before we start uh, I guess I should say congratulations are in order you uh recently became a uh, first time father, did you not?
2: Yes, sir. um she was born on the twentieth and she's uh she's a little ass kicker, just like her dad and uh she uh you know we were really worried because my my girlfriend has a severe um autoimmune disorder and um but we had a a, a great pregnancy we had a great baby, and everything turned out you know more perfect than I could have uh, hope you and uh yeah this baby she's uh she's already growing so quick man it's, it's a beautiful thing it's so beautiful it's uh the best thing that's ever happened to me
1: yeah that's amazing you mentioned your girlfriend's condition can you tell the listeners a little about her condition because i know that's uh part of how you guys came to be together
2: josie's condition um she's missing the collagen 2 gene and there's a variant in her dna and what it is it's, uh, it was diagnosed called progressive pseudolumatoid spondial dysplasia. and basically her body used to produce calcium or collagen, so her bones fuse together, um her spine is curved, uh, her hair and nails are growing really weak, and um eventually her her spinal cord will collapse because you know there's stuff de- deteriorating in there. and so she uh, she actually became. I think when Michigan passed its medical marijuana laws back in 2008, she became the first minor patient in Michigan. And she was prescribed um, Oxycontin at the age of 14 because her pain was so severe.
1: Wow. Well, you guys have have been activists together, I know. Uh, As long as I've known you, you guys have been uh, both fighting for medical marijuana in Michigan, uh, among other causes. So uh, that's awesome. So you and I first met at the first Michigan Cannabis Cup, uh, Medical Cannabis Cup, that was held in uh, Clio, Michigan. Um, and How how many years ago was that? Was it 2013 or 2014, maybe? My memory isn't what it used to be from all that uh, cannabis smoking. But uh, I had just met you, and and I should mention also your uh, former Green Union partner, Stephen Jacob Lull. I had never met you guys before, and I came into town and wanted to host a panel about veterans and medical marijuana. And uh, you two were referred to me as pe- people that would be uh, good to have on the panel. And we met, and I remember when you first told your story to the room, which was a capacity-packed uh, seminar room. A silence fell over the room, and and there was hardly a, a try eye in the place, myself included. Um, Everybody was just so touched by your story. I now know your story very well, having done so many panels with you and and everything, but um, for the benefit, obviously, of our listeners, I'd love if you would uh, talk a little about your story. Uh, Starting at the beginning, when did you join the military and why did you join the military?
2: Um, I joined the Marine Corps. Um, I actually entered the the late entry program uh, when I was still in high school, so I still had to graduate before I could actually enlist. But we did all that paperwork um, as soon as I was, you know, of age to where I could do that because I was a junior in high school and I, I watched 9-11 happen on the TV screens. And, um, you know, immediately I was I was angered, I was pissed. And um, as soon as I could, I wanted to be able to get, you know, some payback for America and for all those lives lost that day. And um, so, yeah, I had uh, entered the late-entry program and I was going to ship off soon after I graduated. And I had been enlisted still in high school um, in the delayed entry program when I was at home sitting on my bed um, watching the bombs drop in Iraq. And so here I am thinking I'm going to Afghanistan, but um, I was pretty dead set that I was going to Iraq because I had uh, had signed up for the infantry. And um, yeah, so in October of 2003, I flew out to San Diego to start my recruit training. And I mean, probably that was probably the, the best and most fun part about the entire Marine Corps. Was just you know that whole aspect of being stripped from everything you've known and bred into this this machine that you you know you only read about in the history books and everything. And I've always looked up to firefighters and police officers and uh, veterans. My grandfather served in the Navy during World War II and then later um, in Korea. He was in the Army, and so he had a very big like positive influence on you know the military and my my drive towards it. But um you know I was I think I just got done with boot camp, went through my infancy training, and I was with my unit only two months, and then we're already on our way over to Iraq. And I was I was 19 years old at that time, and uh, well, I had made some really good friends um, already, and we were ready to go. We were ready to go fight and take the uh, take the fight over there, so the terrorists would come over here and hurt our people home. And so it was, it was really instilled in our head that you know these are some bad people, they're doing bad things to us, and they have to be stopped. And so that was my mission. That was my goal. I didn't care about really anything else other than, you know, protecting the people back home. So, you know, my time in Iraq, we were there I think less than 12 hours before we had taken our first mortar attack. Our little own uh, welcome to Anbar province, I, I, I like to say. And, uh, yeah, from there, we was just walking around every day looking for bombs and people shooting at us trying to blow us up and there was car bombing. We stood a lot of posts. You know, just Eyes out watching for anything going on from a stationary position. Did a lot of convoys, a lot of patrols, just looking for bad guys and looking for stuff that are going to blow up on us. And I got a real gradual um, exposure to combat. You know, a lot of the things that, you know, you go to expect when you go to fight a war didn't happen right away. So it just happened kind of in baby steps. So like, okay this is what mortars sound like when they land next to you. This is what mortars sound like when they land 100 meters away kind of sort of thing. So I was gradually exposed to car bombs and mortars and small arms fire. And then um, word came out that, you know, we were going to go back into Fallujah again because there was an assault um, earlier in 2004 when um, there was a couple of battalions that went into Fallujah, and they ended up getting pulled out over some political bureaucratic crap and so they weren't able to complete any kind of mission. It was more of like a, a turkey shoot for our forces over there. They weren't allowed to really engage the way they needed to, and so they took a lot of casualties, and so there was a real, real bitterness um, on our side um, while we were over there. You know, we felt really exposed and vulnerable because, you know, these people are trying to kill us, but we can't effectively fight back because of the politics back home. And because of the elections that was coming up in 2004, they postponed any kind of attacks on Fallujah. And so in uh, November of 2004, right after George Bush was elected, he got the Green Light. And um, that's where, you know, I was with 3rd Battalion, 1st Marines, and I was a point man. So usually, you know, I'm the guy that's you know, got kicking in doors and stuff. And so that's what we did, man. We rolled right up into that city and, you know, started kicking in doors and taking care of business. Um, like, the American Armed Forces should be doing and We did a great job at it. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it was a lot of fun an excitement for me at first, but um, our first day we took you know we took a couple casualties, a couple guys got wounded, and so it started to become more real. You know, we got involved in this crazy firefighter the very first day where, you know, we got surrounded and we just fought our way back, and we ended up having to pull back a little bit because there was just so much confusion and the enemy was moving so quick. And so we actually pulled back for a night, and then on the second day we kind of um we re- planned our attack. and We just took it to them then. I mean, we just, we bombed the shit out of these guys. And I just remember moving alongside the streets, alongside these buildings, as our tanks and our Humvees um, and our Bradleys are just engaging everything in front of us. And artillery's coming down as we keep moving forward. Mortars are coming down. I mean, jets are bombing the shit out of everything in front of us. Helicopters, man, are just going nuts, too. And it just, man, it was just the shock and the full awe. Our enemy is just facing the, pure, true might of the American military. And this is just awesome, man. Like, I am so happy to be a part of this. And, uh, it only lasted about another day because, uh, it, was, it wasn't too long into the attack where we started losing a lot more guys, um, just, uh, being wounded. And then eventually on, uh, November 13th, we, we took our first killing action and that was my friend, Justin McLeese. And he was 19. He was out of, uh, Covington, Louisiana. And uh he actually came to my unit, Third Battalion, First Marines with me on the uh the last drop that we got out of infantry school and so I had known him pretty good and it really had up upset me when he got killed. But um we ended up losing a squad that day in the same attack that had killed Justin. Um a lot of them were wounded, so we went from, you know, pretty much full strength of a forty man platoon down to two squads, which was I think we were at twenty six guys at that time. No. And then um the very next day my 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 very best friend in the Marine Corps uh he was also my team leader um squad leader at some times, and he was just really my mentor. He was the one that took me under his wing when I got there and his name was uh Corporal Dale Allenberger Jr and he was from port Deposit, Maryland and uh he was killed on November fourteenth about uh, two thousand four and um I watched him you know breathe his last breath on the battlefield. You know, and and that really tore me up, and that's what really changed me from a human being into a monster. You know, it just, like, it tears me up, man, because he spent his 21st birthday over there in Iraq and didn't get a chance to come back and buy himself a beer or anything like that before he was killed, and it just, it really tore me up, man, and from that point on out, you know, I was everything the Marine Corps wanted me to be. I, you know, we, we killed everything in front of us. You know, it was no longer a game or anything like fun anymore it was just we got to survive this you know our friends are dying people are getting wounded left and right and um you know and it just it was a a terrible time but we did we did the best we could with the situation we were given and we we punished the enemy very brutally for every single one of ours that they hurt and we eventually you know we ended up pushing through the whole city and we, we cleared it out and then um I just remember, you know, watching, you know, seeing pictures of his funeral in Arlington, Virginia while I was still over in Iraq. And I got to see pictures of his mother crying and his sisters. And it just, it, it, it devastated me, man. And, um, yeah. And then I wasn't in, in Iraq for two, you know, I think maybe a month or two after the attack. And then we were back home. And, uh, yeah. that's Yeah. That just, didn't, you know. It really, really twisted me, man. I came back really, really messed up. And I noticed damn near right away that you know, I was having some issues with the nightmares and the anger, and the anxiety. And I finally went to a shrinker, a head shrinker, and they, they diagnosed me with post-traumatic stress disorder. And that kind of started a whole new journey in my life.
1: Unfortunately, that... uh that whole experience that you talked about, um, l- losing your friends in front of you, and, and then coming home and dealing with this rage and this trauma, is an all too common story. I'm, I'm sure in uh, in the milita- so in all the branches of the military, and it's it's tragic. You know, obviously, war is. I mean, it's hard for someone who has never been in a situation like that. To imagine being in that situation, it's—I'm terrified just thinking about it. And I remember when you first described it, you described it fairly graphically, and, and it was—it was, it was gut wrenching. It really was. So when you did get back, um, you had talked about how it changed you and, and how you were having trouble, and you were—you know—diagnosed with PTSD. Tell us a little about what it was like when you got back, and how you tried to deal with the condition that you were—that you were under. I started, I started, um, showing, you
2: know, experiencing symptoms while I was still in Iraq. Um, the day Dale was killed, I, I took that really hard. And, um, you know, if it hadn't been for another Marine grabbing my shoulder and, you know, saying, Hey, Serna, you know, you know get a grip of yourself. I, I would have lost it. And, um, but, you know, fortunately I was able to keep it together long enough. But that night I just remember crying my eyes out and I just couldn't believe, you know, my best friend's gone. And it just, you know, from that and, my memories of the way he looked when I was standing over him, the way he was gasping for his breaths and he somewhat looked at peace, man. He had his eyes closed. I couldn't even tell where he was shot at first, man. Because he just he just looked at peace. You know, he's just gasping for air. But um, you know, I noticed he took a round right under the eye and it, you know, it, it went through the brain and he ended up he ended up passing away. And so I, almost immediately, man, um, a couple of nights after that I'd be waking up. Um, from nightmares of that, seeing him laying there. And sometimes in my dreams, he would open his eyes real quick and grab me and scream my name. And I'd wake up screaming and crying. And I just, you know, not knowing where I was. And so I brought that home too. And I, I thought I was perfectly normal. I, but when I ran into everybody that I knew from home, they're like, you're not the same. You're different. There's something different about you. And I had a, um, I had proposed to, my girlfriend right before I left Iraq so I came back and married her not knowing that I was as bad off as I I really truly was and so those nightmares turned into a lot of anxiety during the day a lot of anger you know me as a marine um, rifleman I'm trained to react to certain situations that present a threat to me so if my wife had you know I ended up getting married so my wife would say something rude to me that I thought was like an attack you know i immediately like cut her off with just i'd say this the most god awful things to her and um we ended up fighting all the time Ended up being just a terrible person to her to my family you know i was always scared i wanted to i had a couple suicide attempts while i was still in the marine corps um after i came back but um you know the one time that i really was you know ready for it all to end i went to i went to shoot myself (laughs) with my m16 but um I racked the round and the, the rifle band, uh, the, the round wouldn't go into the chamber. And so I cleaned it out, took the round out, reloaded in the magazine and tried to rack around again. And, um, it wouldn't, it wouldn't go into the chamber again. So I dropped my rifle and that was my sign. It's like, okay, I'm not meant to die by my own hand. What, what do I got to do? And I, at that time, um, I still probably had a year and a half in the Marine Corps. And so I just, Really suffered in silence, um, but I, I took it out on my wife because she was the closest one that was there to me. And I just, I completely destroyed that marriage. And then she ended up leaving me and moving back home to Michigan. And um, I took up drinking. Uh, I was drinking a fifth of uh, Crown oil every day for about six months. And um, yeah, I just, I kept having problems with the police here and there and getting in trouble, um, just being an asshole to people. And it wasn't really until I got out of the Marine Corps and got away from that mindset to where I was able to start a new chapter and get prescription medication through the VA. But all this time, you know, I'm, I'm probably on like 10 different medications at this point and they're all doing different things to treat, you know, my, my psychotic episodes to help me sleep, to keep my blood pressure low. And it just, it was taxing my body, man. It was making me, you know, pass blood in my stool, having ulcers and and I was going insane, Bobby. You know, I was I was a danger to society at one point in time, and I didn't want to be. And, um, you know, there was one final episode, uh, I want to say a year and a half after I got out of the Marine Corps, where I was on a medication called Depakote, and I, I grabbed a rifle and I was going to go shoot somebody because they had done me really wrong. And as I'm walking out the door, you know, my dad was there because I was at their house. And he's like, what the hell are you doing? You know, like, what are you thinking? You know, you need, you need to get a hold of your life and you need to think about everything and put it into perspective of where you want to go. And I just, it stopped me right in my tracks. And I gave him the rifle, but I sat down and I cried a little bit. And the very next day, my buddy ended up going over to his house, gave me a joint. You know, we started smoking a doobie and um, I, I felt the relief immediately. not Not just about being high, but... You know, the the anger levels dropping, the anxiety, the constant vigilance of just waiting for some Arab dude to pop around the corner with an AK-47 to shoot at me, like, the anxiety of that was gone, you know, and I I fell asleep, dude, and I, I, I slept the whole night, and that was the first time that it happened ever since Dale was killed, and so it was a miracle, man, and so I stopped all my prescription medication right then and there and stuck with cannabis, and I haven't, you know, I haven't even looked back. Wow. You know, I still have issues from time to time. You know, I still get angry and stuff like that. But Canada's dude, it just, you know, it levels everything. It makes things right. It gives me the time and the, to slow things down in my head to say, okay, you know, acting in anger, reacting with hostility is not okay. Let's try to find a different route. And that's what kind of really started me into the whole movement. And at that time, I had met Josie. And our first date was at the Capitol at a, a judiciary hearing. And so I was, I was stuck, man. It's like, this is my calling. I've got to, I've got to get this word out to everybody that can. Um, I need to help all my brothers and, and as many people as I can.
1: And so I guess you could say that the smoking of that joint was kind of like the beginning of the new chapter of your life.
2: Oh yeah, man. Um, beautiful. I mean, it just, the only real way to describe it, man, is the beauty of having a child. And, you know, and luckily I was recently able to experience that. So anybody who remembers what it was like to just embrace the beauty of this new life form, man, it was, just, it was almost exactly like that, man. Just, you, you feel just this great sense of, okay, everything's going to be all right.
1: <laughs> wow. We need to take a very short break, uh, but we will be right back with more from Marine veteran Dakota Blue Cerna.
0: Want to grow your own weed but not sure where to get the seed? Go to bcbuddepot.com. For nearly 15 years, BC Bud Depot has been building one of the world's most comprehensive seed banks, offering over 50 strains of top-quality cannabis to suit every grower's needs, including multiple award-winning strains like Godbud, The Purps, BC Blueberry, Girl Scout Cookies, and more. In fact, BC Bud Depot's genetics have won over 30 different cannabis awards over the past decade. So you know you're dealing with a recognized industry leader that will deliver you some of the most potent, flavorful flowers on the planet. They ship worldwide, offering fast, discreet delivery at reasonable prices. All online orders are processed within 48 hours and are packaged and mailed with the utmost stealth and safety in mind. And if for some reason your order gets lost, damaged, or confiscated, BC Bud Depot will resend it at no extra charge guaranteeing that every customer receives what they paid for. Whether you're looking for indica or sativa, indoor or outdoor, feminized or auto flowering, BC Bud Depot has the seeds you need at a price you can handle. But don't take my word for it. Check out their extensive library of award-winning genetics for yourself at bcbuddepot.com and type in promo code BLAZIN420 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. BC Bud Depot, Home of Cannabis Champions since 2002. Please check your local, state, and national laws before ordering.
1: All right, and we are back with uh, Marine Corps veteran Dakota Blue Cerna on this uh, special Memorial Day edition of Blazin'. And before the break, we were just uh, saying how when you had first tried cannabis, it really changed your life and and enabled you to kind of get your life together and begin again. After you began to use cannabis to medicate and started to get off the prescriptions, tell us about uh, how you got involved in the different and activist uh, efforts that you were doing, and how your life changed.
2: Well, I've always carry around this phrase. You know, you know it's um, it's called post traumatic growth. It's it's always it's a way to grow yourself. You have better appreciation and respect for your fellow man and life after going through traumatic events. And I, I experienced a great sense and just overwhelmed the sensation of that. Like I've got to, I got to help people. You know, I'm, I'm getting better. I'm not, I'm not cured. I'm not doing anything, but this helps me and I want to help other people. And so, you know, it wasn't until I took a human being's life that I really respected life and respected my fellow man. And so, you know, I put it in my heart that I will never, ever, ever hurt another human being unless I have to, and they presented danger to my loved ones. I started playing music, um, at some point in time. I joined up with a buddy of mine that I played music with before in high school and we just we kicked it right back off. We started playing shows and started digging around and it just it really, you know, was a hobby. It, it took a lot of my mind off of a lot of things and let me redirect it. And then eventually we got into this really uh heavy blues rock band and we started touring the country, man. And I remember on our second tour, we needed a bus driver and a bus. And, uh, so we got on Craigslist and lo and behold, there's Stephen Jacob Wall, um, answering uh, the response and, uh, his, his daughter Courtney Highfield, you know, saying, Hey, you know, we're good people. You guys sound like good people. Let's meet up. And uh, we did, man. We met up and we hit it off right away and we went on the road. I just remember me and Steve, uh, up late at night. Everybody else is sleeping and, uh, it's three in the morning. We're rolling down the road, just sharing our story, talking about stuff. and you know, we came to the same conclusion. We got to help people, man. We got to, we got to do something, and that's why we needed ended up forming the Green Union, which was a. It started out as a veterans nonprofit to try to help homeless veterans and anybody suffering from PTSD, um, trying to get them the resources that they need. But then it grew into it like a more, like the whole community, like not just veterans, but anybody who needed help. We would try to do what we could, um, when we could. And we ended up securing um a hall to where we did all a lot of our events and fundraisers and stuff and that, you know, went like that for a little while. And then I uh ended up meeting Josie in some random event and our first date was a judiciary committee hearing there at uh, <laughs> the Lansing State Capitol. How romantic. And uh dude, I was hooked. and I mean she tore it up. I mean, she just had those senators just like oh pissed off and angry and it just she just she just gave me such a passion to do the same thing and then Shortly, I think it was 2014, man, where uh, where they ended up introducing the the legislation to get PTSD added to the Michigan qualifying conditions. So that was that was my my very first big testimony, man, and we ended up getting it passed. And so you know, really, it just kind of felt like this is the direction my life needs to go. Is not only help people physically, you know, if I got to give somebody the shirt off my back, I will. But you know, we got to change these laws, man. People stop need to stop going to prison for this plant. People need to stop being shot and killed and arrested. Families need to stop being tearing, torn apart. And for whatever reason, the people who run this country just don't see that. Like They don't see the consequences of their actions and the laws are passing, or they do, and they just don't give a
1: damn. They think everybody just wants to get high, right? They, oh, it's just an excuse so people can get high, you know? And yeah. I, I think that's kind of yeah. what their mentality is maybe.
2: Sometimes I just like getting high, and that's okay too. It's all right, man. But I just I'm 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 sitting here racking my brain, man. Like there's nothing that I can think of right now except maybe oxygen. To where if you consume enough of it, you're not going to die or overdose. I mean, you can overdo it, of course, but you're not going to overdose and die. You know, you drink enough water, you're going to die. You drink enough milk, you're going to die. You know, you set yourself on fire, you're probably going to die. But like, it's just it's to me like the safest thing out there in this entire world, man, is Canada's. And uh, the medical benefits, the uh, the industrial benefits, the um, the revolution it's going to bring to this country, it's going to take us all back to our original, you know, ideals when we founded this country that everybody can have the right to pursue happiness, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's going to give your average Joe the opportunity again to do something with a certain product where he can make a living and a foundation for his family you know it's going to bring the economy back it's going to give jobs and everybody sees it but these damn politicians
1: yeah but they're living in a bygone era and they're they're beholden to campaign contributors which you know big pharma and uh other other tobacco and and alcohol lobbies who don't really want to see cannabis become legal you know so they're they're in the pockets and that's why we need to make big changes in this country um Actually, that brings me to, to another point I wanted to discuss with you, which is just the the whole uh, political uh, scene right now with what's going on with the presidential race. I mean, it's become a circus. I'm just curious um, where you stand uh, as far as what's what's going on with uh, you know who you support and w- what you what your feelings are on the whole Trump phenomenon, and also how you feel as someone who has been in combat and had to actually kill Muslims, uh, what are your thoughts about how Muslims should be treated in this country and, and what uh, that whole controversy that's going on?
2: Um, well, first off, you know, I, it doesn't bother me when people support Trump or support somebody else when I don't, but that guy here, there's something wrong about him. I've never seen a candidate so hateful in my life, you know, trying to keep people from out of this country, even though, you know, some years ago, they were like, bring us your tire, you're sick, and you're poor. You know, and it just, it's bringing out so many racist people and so much hate. People are getting attacked at his uh, rallies and conventions, man. I just I can't wrap my head around it. And so that's why, you know, I just have to support Bernie the most because he's the only one preaching love. You know, he's the one that hasn't been caught lying or saying, hey, go hit this guy or something like that. And I know Ron Paul and those guys, they've always been supporters of cannabis and everything, but Bernie really is the one that's, you know, legalized it and, you know, make it right time to move on to more important things and you know it's a it's it's a crazy crazy situation and a crazy turn of our lives man because people are just using opinions to hate they're using their own opinions to hate other people and it's just it's it's all spiraling downhill yeah. and if you look at the big picture man what we're doing right now is not working and it's not good you know we're our country's falling apart and there's half of them don't see it and the other half do And they're being laughed at and they're being silenced and they're being kicked under the rug, man. And it's, it's, it's Bernie's really bringing, you know, that out from under the rug, man. He's he's putting it back in their face saying, you know, you're wrong. You know, you need to start representing the people of America and not businesses. And so, you know, it's, uh, I don't really necessarily align myself with a certain political party because I don't really care about political parties. I care about America. I care about human beings. So my loyalty and my, you know, a vote will lie with the person who wants to help the American people the most. And so that's why I, you know, went after uh, Bernie. Right on. And um, I got a buddy of mine, Barry Richardson. He, uh, I just ran into him recently, and he was in the Coast Guard back in the 90s. And so when I met him, and he was talking about post-traumatic stress. I kind of giggled a little bit, like, how is a, a Coast Guard guy going to have post-traumatic stress? You know, and then he, he opened up to me and told me his stories about you know, while he was on the West Coast, he saw, you know, commercial jet airliners go down, you know, and he had to fish bodies out of the water. You know, men, women, and children burning and drowned and waterlogged and it just, I had to stop him right there and said, okay, because I do not understand that, you know, it's something that I'm not going to understand and it really opened my eyes to you don't have to go through combat or shoot people or kill people or watch people die to be traumatized and be a little twisted in your mind. You know, it doesn't just stop at seeing deaths and destruction it's also comes along with sexual assaults and you know anything really yeah you know car wrecks or anything like that and it just it really kind of helped me be more accepting of other people and trying to bring more people into this fight under one banner that hey you know we suffer we don't suffer from the same thing but we suffer the same in a sense and so we can turn all of that into you know good positive things and work from there
1: so even though you've had people who were very close to you uh, in combat killed by Islamic extremists, you're not prejudiced towards Muslims? You don't think they should be kept out of the country?
2: Um, I used to be. I really used to have a very, a very bad problem with anybody Arabic as soon as I came back. Um, and that had to do largely with the VA because as soon as I got to the VA, I was seeing a – um. God, where was he from? I want to say I can't remember where he was, but he was, you know, he was Arab. He was a Muslim, and he was my psychiatrist. And he uh, he uh got into my head. He gave me a lot of pills, and it came to the conclusion that I think he might be trying to kill me. So uh I was very bitter towards the Arab population, much like a lot of the Vietnam vets coming back, you know, being bitter towards Asians. And uh it took me coming out of my comfort zone and actually sitting down with some Muslim people in this country and talking with them, not necessarily about war or religion, but just getting to know them as people. And it's, I live right next door to a gas station that's run by Muslims. And they're some of the coolest people I know. Like we're always talking, you know, how's your day going and this and that and that. And that's, uh, you know, it's, it's really not so much of an issue with me anymore because the, the further away you get from that military mindset, the further away you get from hate, the easier it is to heal. The easier it is to go uphill, the easier it is to be a better person. You
1: can't be a good person if you're always hating. That's true. You know, I have to, and I've said this to you before in person, but um, I, even from the time that I first met you at that first veterans panel, I've noticed a huge change in you over the past few years, just becoming more open, more calm, and and more happy, just, just having a, a more happy aura, seeing you smile more. And uh, it's been really, really nice to see, I have to say.
2: It's 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 a long process, man, and I I really feel very strongly that there is no cure for PTSD. You only can you know you only can heal. You can only keep healing. You know it's not necessarily going to get easier in life, but it does get easier to deal with and accept. But you know you got to have an open mind. You can't have these crazy prescriptions that are just twisting up your chemical imbalance and that are driving you to do things that you normally wouldn't do or don't even want to do. And unfortunately, man, you know it's that prescription drug use that has led us to finding out know, that 22 veterans a day kill themselves, and that just that's more devastating than anything that I've gone through. Because so that's 22 people that I may not know, but you know I have known some of those, some of those guys that have and uh, killed themselves, man. And it's it's so heartbreaking because you know that's just something that you can't help, but you want to. I think cannabis and education and and full understanding of this medicine will eventually be able to take a large, large chunk of that number down.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think it's worth mentioning that when we talk about Memorial Day and remembering those who died fighting for this country, we should include those people who have taken their own lives since because they're just as much of a casualty of the war as anyone.
2: Well, that's why I... um, um, I don't live in Lansing, Michigan anymore. I kinda I moved out of town due to some uh, garbage that went on with the bank in our house. But um uh Lansing, Michigan used to have a ceremony on Memorial Day and they moved it to the Saturday before because all the politicians or whatever, anybody who wants to go out wants to go barbecue for the weekend. So they do it on Saturday week for the weekend, and it just did it with a slap to my face, like, Are you kidding me? Like you're not holding anything on Memorial Day, then why do we have Memorial Day? And so I started this little thing called the Walk to Remember, where it's I start out at the Capitol, they have a, a Veterans Memorial there, and I lay a wreath and we do um, we talk a little bit about you know what the meaning of Memorial Day. Then we have some taps played and then we walk through the city down to a park where I lay a wreath in the river, um, and we play some taps again and then we have, you know, people read off the names of anybody they want remembered. I don't know. I feel like nobody else is going to do
1: it, so I have to do it, kind of sort of thing. Well, that's uh, that's great. And do you do you also have uh, sort of a your own private ceremony for those for your friends that you've lost, or is that just part of the whole? Uh, yeah,
2: yeah. I, any anywhere I go, man, I try to I try to share their names, man, because I mean, they not only were they really amazing. Marines, they were amazing people, and their families are amazing people, and I I I struggle every year on um, the day that Dale and Justin was killed, um, on Memorial Day, on Mother's Day. I, I sit there in front of my computer, and I try to write to the parents. I just can't do it, man. I can't bring myself to do it. It hurts so bad because I know that there's nothing that I can say that can take away their pain. But the best thing that I think I can do is carry on their children's name to people that don't know them so their memory lives on forever. And um, it's just,
1: you know, it just—it just, it feels right to me, man. Right on. Well, I'm going to light this bowl right now in honor of your friends who have passed. Cheers, brother. I'm lighting a doobie, too. <laughs> right on, man. Well, I do know that uh, since I've left High Times I've heard that you have taken over the moderation of the veterans panel at the Cannabis Cups, and uh, you reached out to me and and kind of asked my blessing and uh, about it. And man, I couldn't be more more proud or more honored to have anyone uh, do it than you. So um, I'm I'm very happy to know that you are continuing that uh, tradition and that practice to help continue to bring awareness.
2: Well, dude, I mean, you started something really epic. You know, I owe it all you, man. I mean, did just what you did and like, it might seem like something really small, but you, what you did, you sparked a whole movement um, across this country, of waking up veterans, you know, like, letting them know that the VA and the government doesn't have their best interests at heart. And so we've been able to reach out to people and telling them that, you know, it's okay that you went to war and did these things. It's okay that you're messed up. It's perfectly normal to be messed up after war, and so a lot of people are opening up and a lot of people are healing, man, all over the country. Every single state that we hit and we talk to a man, it's uh, more people come back the next year because they tell about it, and so it's like it's growing and growing and growing. I don't know how long high Times will have me around doing that, but um, as long as they will, man, it's uh, I just try to get the message out and try to heal as much as I can, anywhere I can, you know, and I, 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 I owe it all to you, man. You know, you and a few other people on the high time staff, but mainly you. You're the guy that you let know, push the button, got
1: this whole ball rolling, man, and so I owe it all to you, man. Well, thank you. Um, I don't feel like I should t- take much credit for it. Uh, I mean, I you guys are the ones who fought and suffered and who have to deal with this, and you're the ones who are out there really, uh, you know, protesting and speaking at the Capitol and doing all the things that you're doing. But if I was able to in some way uh, call attention to your situation and and help empower you in some way, then then I'm very happy that I was able to do that. And I do hope that High Times will continue to do veteran panels uh, for as long as the events go on. And if they don't, you guys should just do it on your own. <laughs> Keep it going, man. Keep it going. It's very important. I, I, I don't need to tell you.
2: All right, man. It's been – I mean, dude, it's one of my favorite moments getting to meet you, man, because, like, it was jumping into the unknown for me, going outside my comfort zone, man. But you took us in with open arms, and you just – you really gave – Every single veteran out there suffering, you gave them justice, man, by, by setting this up and putting it together, man. And it's just, you know, hopefully we can continue doing it on different fronts, man. You know, it's, it's a totally different war back home that we're fighting. And the more people we have on board, um, combat veteran, non-combat veteran, civilian, anybody who's willing to pitch in a little bit to make the world a better place, man, we just need to get them all in one room and just like, you know, what, what, what do we do from here, man? How do we make this world a better place? And I think the more, we keep preaching the love, man, the more people are going to come back, come on board. Oh, my hope is that one day just racism is a thing that disappears into the past. Hate, you know, this whole segregation, hating people for the colors of their skin or their disabilities or being gay. Like I hate that shit, man. And I just want that all stuff to go away. And maybe one day we can have that.
1: It would be nice. It sure would be nice. So what's next for you? Do you have any uh, upcoming events or uh, any marches, rallies, anything like that?
2: Well, I um, I am kind of going through a personal battle right now in my head because I just had this baby, but I just got offered an all expense paid trip to Peru to um, do an ayahuasca ceremony. Wow. And it's something that I've never done before, but I've heard nothing but good things from. But I have received nothing but love from my girlfriend, Josie. And, um, my support group back here at home, they're going to help out as much as they can. And they all want me to go because it's, uh, you know, I feel it's going to make me a better person and a better father. It's a, it's a different holistic approach to post-traumatic stress. And it goes all the way back to ancient times. And, and it's something that's really intriguing. And so I really want to go and experience this so I can come back and share it with my brothers and sisters. And, um, maybe we can bring it back to the States and start doing something up here
1: yeah that would be amazing i've heard i've heard great things about the healing power of the ayahuasca ceremony so i hope you're able to go and i wish you all the best uh health happiness luck everything to you and to josie and to your little girl and uh for all the vets out there that you work with that we've worked with and for those we haven't met yet uh i i encourage all of them to uh reach out and uh try to connect and try to make a difference uh Dakota, thank you so much for uh, for sharing your story and and sharing who you are and what you do with us. Uh, it's it's really powerful, and uh, I, I wish you nothing but the best, man.
2: Good, same to you, man. You know, it's uh, you're doing good things, and I appreciate you having me on board and giving me the chance to share, man. And
1: you know, hats off to you for helping people heal, man. That's what it's about, brother. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me, man. All right, man. Well, uh, happy Memorial Day to you, my friend. And that's gonna be it for this week's show. I hope that Dakota's story uh, and his passion have touched you and affected you as deeply as they have me and the others that have seen him speak. Uh, I know we ran long, but I felt that his story and what he had to say was important enough to justify the extra time. I hope you thought so too, and I hope that you will join us again next week and every week here on Blazin'. Until then, this is Bobby Black saying, Blaze on, brothers and sisters you mm-hmm.